Welcome, everyone, to our featured podcast on thought leadership with Dr. Ray McKinley. Dr. McKinley is an expert on leadership and character development. Let's join the conversation now. Hello, everyone. This is Ray McKinley. Welcome to Ride the Elephant today. We're glad you're here, and we're very excited to continue our conversation and topic about what drives us to do what we do driving forces behind how we respond and why we respond the way we do. And many of us don't really give a lot of thought to that. However, we just continue to do what we've always done. And we're looking at possibility of saying, let's be a little more self-reflective of that and see if there's anything we can do to maybe modify the way we're responding habitually and have reasons to consider that that might be of benefit to us. One of the questions, as we've been talking the last few weeks, that has come up a few times is we would introduce this concept of an agreement-based relationship. And there's some questions coming forward from previous listeners about what that is and why is that important to identify what is an agreement-based relationship. There's some confusion about that. So let's unpackage that a little bit about why it's important and some of the conflicts that exist because of it. So to understand what an agreement-based relationship is, basically, we have two types of relationships. We have relationships that we are in that really don't have any agreement structure to it, except to be nice and be friendly and just to be in relationship and have fun. And there's many other relationships that are agreement-based relationships that have a little more structure to them. They're basically a boss-employee is a pretty obvious agreement-based relationship. Business partners are agreement-based relationships. Our relationships with our coworkers are agreement-based relationships, as are our relationship to our government as a citizen of this country or the citizen of a community. Parents and children is really an agreement-based relationship. However, many of the times we don't really think about it because it's just implied. However, the implication is that parents will be more directive and be the teachers of the children, and the children need to be obedient and respectful and listen to their parenting. And so a lot of times we get in trouble when we think that we're not in an agreement-based relationship, and we really are. And we also can get ourselves in trouble when we're in an agreement-based relationship when we think we're not. So both those situations can be problematic if we aren't aware of which one we're in and what the responsibilities of being in an agreement-based relationship are. So let's look at that a little bit, and then we'll talk more about the benefits and how to apply it to your life and into your relationships. So we agree to do the job for financial compensation. That's pretty clear. I'm going to perform this job, and I'm going to get paid to do it. So you have a responsibility to carry out the duties of that job for the financial compensation. That's a pretty straightforward agreement-based relationship. And you're going to be held accountable by the person who is paying you to do that job. That's pretty straightforward, but not all relationships are financial in nature. Certainly the relationship between a parent and a child is not necessarily financial. Uh, There's a responsibility that the parents have, and there's a responsibility that children have to have that relationship work. 
They need to be respectful as a dutiful son and daughter. You know, we also see this in our rules of the school or college you might go to or attend. You agree to go to a school, you agree to go to a college, there's rules that that college has. So basically you are agreeing to those rules when you go there, then that's an agreement-based relationship. Whenever we get a driver's license in a state, we're agreeing to the laws of the land and the laws of the road. So we are in situations where we're constantly being held accountable to the agreement-based relationships we have. The non-agreement-based relationships are the relationships that exist most often in our friend relationships, our acquaintance relationships. Sometimes it's just people, another group that we associate with or that we're in connection with. So there's no hard, fast agreements in that sense, but there's civil discourse and conversation and being polite and being a good neighbor. All those things apply to being in good relationships with people. That's oftentimes how I would just consider that as a non-agreement-based relationship. Let's go back to an agreement-based relationship a little bit more, and let's look at when they fail. This might make it clearer to you what we're talking about here. They fail when the parties do not take personal responsibility for what they've agreed to do. So, in other words, if you're in an agreement-based relationship and you've agreed to the rules of the college that you're going to or the place of employment, and you don't take personal responsibility for fulfilling those rules and expectations that you've agreed to do, this is going to cause your relationship to fail. The other thing that happens that causes agreement-based relationships to fail is when a different set of beliefs or values permeate between the two parties. One person has this belief and value and another party has this belief and value, and they don't mesh together. And if they don't mesh together, of course, we're going to have some failures in that relationship. But the most common one that is, I think, one we can have room to correct, and that's when we expand the agreement-based relationships we have with another person into their own personal life, where we break the boundaries of the agreement. In other words, if I'm in the workplace and you agree to conform to the rules of the workplace in order to keep your job, that's fine and good, but if your employer then starts applying those rules to your personal life and start trying to hold you accountable in your personal life for the rules he's holding you accountable for in the workplace, that certainly can create some problems. So we see boundaries being broken all the time in relationships and not allowing people to be who they really are, not allowing them to be authentic and true to themselves. We are now imposing our beliefs on them, we're imposing our expectations on them, we're imposing our we're right, so therefore I'm going to tell you kind of mindset, and you're stuck with listening to it. Of course, that can be very damaging to a relationship. And certainly if one party decides to change the rules in the relationship without the consent of the other person, we see that oftentimes in the workplace and in between co-workers where one party decides to change the rules, the boss might change the rules without the consent of the other parties, or maybe the employee decides to change the rules without the consent of the boss. And those, of course, can create some problems as well. So really, we have truth and trust as being at the core of agreement-based relationships. 
The other thing that oftentimes breaks down agreement-based relationships that are otherwise healthy, especially between siblings and friends, is we see this today more than ever, and that's where we broach topics of religion, politics, and other controversial conversations. Today, we're seeing these attacks of different groups because we're projecting on a group our set of beliefs, and that group has a different set of beliefs, but we're going to attack them nonetheless. And we see this playing out today big time in so many different arenas. Just mentioning the term of the vaccinated and the unvaccinated when it comes to the COVID response, you have a group that's very convinced that they're right and they're going to project and call everybody else on the other side all kinds of names. And then you have the people who are maybe not complying with that or calling the other group a bunch of names. And so what happens is we've gotten to this point where our self-righteousness or our belief that we're right and that we have the answer, because we have that answer, we now have the right to project it onto you. That's when you start seeing the breakdown in relationships. So this is really an issue more and more today than it's been ever, or at least in my lifetime. And I'm seeing this play out big time. So for the lack of a better way of describing it, I just found that agreement-based relationships and non-agreement-based relationships really help us maybe dissect this circumstance that we find ourselves in and allow us to apply rational, critically thinking to it and maybe come up with different answers than we're currently throwing out at other people as ad hominem attacks and personal attacks and criticism and judgments and everything else of that nature. And I think if we're going to find ourselves in an agreement with somebody, it takes two people to be in agreement. It takes both sides to be in, in agreement. And if that hasn't been solidified in your communications, then for one person to expect that they're in an agreement-based relationship and the other person to say, well, no, I'm not in an agreement-based relationship with you, well, when one person thinks you are and one person thinks you aren't, <laughs> that's an automatic conflict right off the bat. So I think it's very important that we start considering these different aspects of what successful relationships have. And having a, an agreement-based relationship understanding is a big one. So I mentioned some of the different types of agreement-based relationships and I think it's probably a good thing to just go through a couple of those to kind of give people a little better sense of what I'm describing. Because if we step back and look at a scenario that we both either have experienced firsthand or we've experienced secondhand by observing it in other relationships. So let's talk about a couple of those and we'll see if we get clear about how this can be applied to you and your relationships. So I like the one where we have two types of bosses. Now, I love using colors to describe the boss. So I like to use red boss and blue boss. Now, the reason I picked red boss and blue boss instead of saying a bad boss and a good boss, because I don't like the term bad boss. There's no bad bosses. I think if a boss isn't being the kind of boss you want them to be, that's because you've gone into an agreement with them that you didn't clarify ahead of time. And you have as much responsibility of them being a bad boss as they are being a bad boss. 
So I like to identify him as a red boss versus a blue boss. Why red? Why blue? Could have used any other colors. I like red because red implies to me, maybe I need to consider stopping that. And blue might be considering a goal or an objective or what I'm trying to achieve, or maybe put an intention on being more of a blue boss because it's the antithesis of being a red boss. But that's for each of us to decide as we reflect on these issues. So as I start talking red boss and blue boss, you understand what I'm talking about. So red bosses manage their employees by approving and disapproving of their performance. They lay down the rules, they lay down the policies, they lay down the expectations. They measure and evaluate the performance. They tell you what you're doing well and they tell you when you're not doing well. They basically motivate by whips and carrots. They whip you when you're doing it the way they don't want you to do it, and they give you carrots through praise and pat on the backs when they're doing what you want them to do. Red bosses expect you to conform to the rules and policies. So you find yourself in situations where the red bosses give you the pat on the back and the attaboy, that's great. And they give you platitudes like, I'm proud of you, you did a great job. But then when you don't, they're right there to criticize and correct and replace you even if need be. Red bosses have a tendency to bring into their place of employment the type of employees that really want to be directed and really are looking to be told what to do. And then looking for the approval when they've done it the way that you would like them to do it. Blue bosses are a little different. Blue bosses encourage self-directed behavior. They look for employees that are inspired for their own reasons, not simply looking for approval and praise and a paycheck. They're looking for people who are self-directed, self-motivated. They usually find people that have similar beliefs, similar values to theirs. And they have a tendency to allow their employees to evaluate their own performances and set up their own objectives for bringing value to the business. They would acknowledge a job well done with comments similar to this. Instead of patting them back and praising them, they more want to get to what was the core belief or core value that their employee had that caused them to do what they did. They might say, how do you feel about the outcomes you're getting? And let the person explain how they feel about it and how they feel it's bringing benefit to the business, to the benefit to the customer. The blue boss might ask, tell me how you were able to do that. What caused you to have that kind of success or what did you learn in the process? So there's more of an educational, more of a learning situation as the blue boss and the employee grow together in their understanding of having that employee be more successful in their work experiences. So blue bosses look for a way to create self-esteem building experiences for the employees. They find ways to create those experiences and they look to affirm the achievement of their employees through observing the qualities in their life, who they are being, not necessarily their doing. Red bosses identify the doing. Blue bosses identify the character qualities behind the achievement of their employees. They're directing and coaching and encouraging 
their employees in a different way. Interestingly enough, this symbiotic relationship that exists between red bosses, now they're in relationship with red employees. There's red employees and there's blue employees. Again, red employees have a certain characteristic, certain need in the workplace, and blue employees have a different need. So blue employees seem to match up with blue employers, and red employees seem to match up with red employers. So let's look at that. People in the workforce who have more of a red tendency, they're there really to get a paycheck. They want to feel like they belong. They want to get paid. They want to be appreciated. They look for verbal approval and support from their boss, coworkers being pat on the back and getting their paycheck, and they feel good about their work experience. Blue employees are looking for more. They're looking for fulfillment and personal gratification. They want to leave the end of the day knowing that they made a difference in the life of their clients and the people that they work with. So it's a big difference. They're more intrinsically motivated, more inspired to do the things for their own reasons than they're meeting the expectations of their bosses. There's just a big difference between what a red employee would do and a blue employee. I think we can see this in a performance review. This is maybe an example of how this plays out. So one of the things that we can do by looking at this performance review situation between a blue employee and a blue boss is typically in this situation, a blue boss would call in their employee and say, all right, here's our yearly review. Let's talk about it. Let's look at some of the things that you've been doing this year. And they start asking questions about where have you had success? What have you liked most about the job? What have you done with intention to improve your job and to make it more fulfilling for you? They'll ask them questions about what they can do to better perform next year based on your, we've been working here now a year or two or three, whatever it is. What have you learned in this experience so far that you now can bring and apply to the next year? What are some of the goals that you have? What are some of the things that you'd like to see achieved in this company? What can we do better? The boss would then want to give some opportunity for the employee to set some goals for themselves and set some goals for the business. And they would talk about this and have a conversation so that it would lead to a more self-directed experience for the employee. And of course, the benefit to the employer is that he has somebody that really doesn't need to be managed day in and day out and micromanaged in every aspect of their job. So there's a real advantage to developing these agreement-based relationships between an employer and an employee that allows for the relationship to be more fulfilling for both the employer and the employee. I think that's really important to consider as an example. I think another relationship that is an agreement-based relationship that many of us have experience with, and that's understanding the difference between a red teacher and a blue teacher. We spend a lot of time in our youth with teachers, a lot of time in college with our teachers. We oftentimes go into the workplace where we're being taught with teacher-type employees. And so 
I think it's important that we recognize that we have red and blue behavior in our teachers as well as other agreement-based relationships. Red professors have a tendency to be dogmatic. They have a tendency to express what they believe to be true, and they pontificate that out, give their opinions about why it's true, and expect the student to understand their point of view and regurgitate it back to them in the form of a test or an essay or in some type of performance that the student might do. Red professors perceive their role as modeling the opinions of their students and getting the students to believe what they believe. They can be dogmatic. Their idea of teaching critically thinking is really just explaining to the students what their critically thinking is about why they believe what they believe. And they present this in such a way that the students just nod their head and just agree to agree to agree. Now, part of the problem with that is this is perpetuated because in the end, the student is there to receive a grade that's going to follow him through his or her academic life. So they will then nod and take on this expression of what the teacher is, which could be dogma, could be facts and opinion. And the student has to then discern what is really fact here and what is really the professor's opinion. But there's a tendency here that if you're not careful, red professors can come across as very self-righteous and they confidently project what they think is true. And they oftentimes will even struggle with any objections or opinions expressed by their students as beneath them are not even worthy of a response. They have a very little respect for their student body. They're not grateful for their students. They just think their students are there just as pawns for them to express their teaching dynamic and what they want the students to learn. And they really are not engaged in a true educational process where there's back and forth an understanding between the student and the teacher that elevates their thinking. And I'm not saying to you that I'm talking about all teachers here. I'm clearly saying to you there's two types of professors and two types of teachers even in the workplace. There's the red professors and the blue professors. And I think it's important that you recognize the two of them for what they are, understanding that, okay, this is a red professor and this is a blue professor. And recognize this because someday you're going to find yourself in the same position of teaching someone else. Are you going to be a red teacher or a blue teacher? That could be teaching of your children. It could be the teaching of your employees. It could be teaching someone in a classroom. I think the thing that's different here is uh, blue professors will frequently ask questions without giving the answers. They really want their students to go through a critical thinking process of coming up with the answers. They're okay with the wrong answers because that is the best way to learn. They purposely will give maybe a hypothetical answer that they know might not be totally true, it may be even untrue, to challenge the students to really critically think it through and say, no, no, wait a minute, professor, that doesn't make sense. And in getting the students to disagree with them, 
stimulates the conversation, allows for a more Socratic method of teaching, a Socratic method being asking questions and getting the student to critically think. Because blue teachers tend to teach the students how to think, not just what to think. They're grateful for their students. They appreciate their students. They realize the students has a choice to be in the classroom or not, and to be a student of theirs or not. So they generally have an appreciation for that student. And sometimes we can look back at our academic experiences. And if you think about well, who are our favorite teachers we ever had, without fail, the favorite teachers are the ones that express gratitude to us that we were there and gave us an opportunity to think on our own. And they felt honored by the teacher and they have a great admiration for that teacher years later, oftentimes thinking back and say, who are my best teachers? It's that teacher who showed them honor and respect and allowed them to be creative in their thinking. You know, I can think of some stories for myself. Uh, one of my teachers was Mr. Miller in high school. And I was struggling in American history and not really following the track that the rest of the students were on. And he recognized that I was struggling in the class. And, and he also had the forethought to ask me some questions and give me an opportunity to learn and present my knowledge back in a different way. So he creatively came up with some ways to have me report back my knowledge as extra credit that was not necessarily the test that everyone else was taking, but it was a way for me to show him that I knew the material. And it was a great experience for me, and I really always appreciated that because I knew I knew it, and I knew if I was given an opportunity to express it in a way that was more matched my need, it would make me a better student, and it did. It was a great experience for me, and I went off to college having that backbone that if I found the teachers that would be willing to teach me in a different way, I would be a lot better off for it. I went to college, and I took chemistry, and chemistry was one of the tougher classes I ever had to take. And I remember really struggling with understanding it. And my professor, Dr. Gruen, was standing there and giving all of this material out. And he'd ask a question of the class. And I remember I didn't know the answer, so I didn't raise my hand. But I remember one student who always raised his hand. And when he raised his hand, he then had the right answer. And I thought, wow, he had the right answer, and I didn't. So what Dr. Gruen did, he just made a decision at that point that if, well, if this kid understood the answer and gave the right answer, then everyone in the class understood it as well. Well, that wasn't the case for me. I had to then recognize that if every time Dr. Gruen asked a question and he was going to give an answer, I was never going to learn what I needed to learn. So what I did is I started raising my hand whenever Dr. Gruen asked a question I did not know the answer to. So when he didn't know the answer, I raised my hand and he'd say, Mac, and I'd give the answer. And he said, no, Mac. And then he'd go back and teach it again. So maybe I would understand it. So I found that for me, it was better that I raised my hand and gave the wrong answer because it gave me an opportunity to learn. And to have a teacher who's willing to do that and then have it be a, a student that was willing to do that, I then was able to have success in my agreement-based relationship. 
with my professor. So I think it's important that we recognize these situations in our relationships with others and find ways to solidify our agreement-based relationships and make them stronger. So hopefully that's a helpful example of how agreement-based relationships can work for us. So the other thing that I want to talk about is how do you apply this more and more to your life? I think one of the things that we want to identify and why this is so important we recognize these agreement-based relationships that we're in is if we're not careful, we can find ourselves being controlled and manipulated within those relationships. So one of the things that I've noticed is when you're on the red side of the agreement-based relationship, you have a tendency to try to control others. And we do this by saying stuff like, if you do this for me, I will do this other thing for you. And this ifing is what I would call conditional acceptance. So we find that the red behavior is to withhold approval, withhold love, or withhold acceptance in a way for us to manipulate and control and get other people to do what we want. That's not in a healthy agreement-based relationship. So it's one of the things when you recognize that, you need to look at ways of mitigating that and stopping that. And you as a person don't want to find yourself being that red friend or that red parent or that red boss or that red teacher. So I think it's important that we stop doing that. The other thing that we find with red behavior in these agreement-based relationships is we do a lot of shooting. And we should on the other people. So if I'm shooting on you, then I'm not giving you a chance to be self-directed, not giving you a chance to be who you would like to be in the situation, giving you a chance to present your point of view and what you would like to consider bringing to the relationship. So I think the other thing that Reds will do and another way we try to control other people is with our nonverbal shooting. What I mean by that is we might not be shooting on them with our verbal shooting, but we maybe give them a look or give them a disapproving sigh. We might simply walk away, shake our heads, roll our eyes. We withhold something for them. Sometimes we'll just lash out with a verbal tirade or maybe even physical by hitting or smacking somebody. So I think when we start doing that, reds have a tendency to respond with verbal and nonverbal cues and messaging that lets the other person know that they are not matching, agreeing, going along with what I think or what I think you should be doing. We can tell this by reds have a tendency to start their sentence like this. I think you should do this and if I were you, I would do that. And these kind of prefaces and suggestive words ahead of time really let you know very clearly that there's an attempt to control you, there's an attempt to manipulate you, there's an attempt to project onto you what they value and what they believe, whether you want to hear it or not, it's coming your way. Reds have a tendency to attempt to dish out heavy-handed consequences. And especially parents can dish out heavy-handed consequences, a way to manipulate and control their kids instead of having a conversation and giving the child an opportunity to express themselves 
giving the child an opportunity to explain from their perspective and giving the opportunity for the child to come up with a different answer than what he's just experienced. So I think that's important. I saw this play out in my life through the experiences that I had with my brother, in fact, and he was facing some difficult challenges with his six children. And he was having a difficult challenge with his wife after 30 years of marriage. And he called me one day and said, you know, my kids don't want anything to do with me. My wife doesn't want anything to do with me. They're basically saying we're no longer going to be controlled and manipulated by you. So they're basically giving him their adult response and saying, this is how we've been feeling in my relationship with you as my dad, and I'm not going to put up with it anymore. And what my brother realized was how he was really being very controlling, very manipulative, and felt he had the answers, and he felt he had to protect the kids. From his own personal history, he realized that he was being overprotective. And that overprotection basically turned out to be overpowering, exerting excessive control, giving excessive consequences. And the kids felt it as being manipulative. They did not necessarily understand the painful experience he went through as a child that maybe led to his behavior. They just were experiencing the heavy hand of a very controlling and manipulative father. Watching that play out and watching it break down that relationship was heartbreaking. But eventually my brother figured it out and he was able to start going back and saying, I want to reestablish my relationships with my children. And he went back and asked for their forgiveness, asked for their understanding. And he was able to start healing the relationships with his wife and his kids and really was able to redefine their agreement-based relationship because it was one-sided. And that's one of the things we need to look at is when we're out there projecting our beliefs, values, and principles on other people when they don't want it, we need to step back and say, hey, we need to be more curious. We need to be more interested in having a conversation with the other people and have it be more fulfilling for them, not just be them conforming to you and to what you want. So I hope this kind of explains a little bit about what an agreement-based relationship is and how it can be very detrimental to your relationships with other people, how it can be very detrimental to your success and failures. And I think it's important that you consider stepping back, critically thinking it through, and saying, what can I do to be in more loving accepting, affirming relationships that allow other people to be authentic and real for just the way they were, and you appreciate them for the way they are, and develop together in a healthy agreement-based relationship that is open and candid so that you can then have the relationship grow and be mutually beneficial for both parties. So I hope that's helpful. If you have any questions about what we've talked about, please send me a note at ray at raymckinley.com and we can continue the conversation. Thanks for joining us for another podcast, Ride the Elephant Today. We'll see you next week. Have a great week.
Dr. Ray McKinley is a speaker, author, and coach. In his new book, Ride the Elephant, The Journey to True Success, Dr. McKinley addresses the crisis in personal leadership and what you can do about it. Thank you for joining us today. Your feedback is important to us, and we'd like to hear from you. Email your comments and questions to ray at raymckinley.com. Join us next week for another informative podcast with Dr. Ray McKinley. Have a great week. Thank you.